0: Hey guys, what is up? My name is Cliff. Welcome to episode number seven of Being Famous Podcast. Hope everyone is doing well with all the madness that's currently taking place, not only in America, but across the globe as well. When COVID hit, I took a bit of a break, guys, to focus on other projects, but I am back and I am ready to roll with more episodes. If there's someone you would like to see featured on the podcast, shoot me an email at info at beingfamouspodcast.com and we'll see about getting that particular person on the show. Facebook and Instagram are at Being Famous Podcast. All previous episodes can be heard at beingfamouspodcast.com. If you like what you hear and enjoy the podcast, please leave me a comment. That would be greatly appreciated. Now that we got that out of the way, let's get on to episode number seven, our very first female guest. I am excited about that, guys. You've seen her in movies such as Second Time Lucky. Terrorvision, Amityville 2, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and of course, the two cult classics Last American Version, where she played the female lead role of Karen, and Better Off Dead with John Cusack, where she played the role of Monique. Still acting today, let's welcome to the podcast, calling in all the way from the City of Angels, Los Angeles, California, Diane Franklin. Diane, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on the show. Go ahead and tell everyone listening around the world, hello.
1: Hey, everybody. Hi, this is Diane Franklin. You're listening to Being Famous Podcast. Thanks for having me on, Cliff.
0: Of course. Great to have you on the podcast. I also appreciate that plug right there. Very cool. Diane, we have a lot to talk about. Let's get right into it. How did you get involved in acting?
1: Well, I wanted to be an actress, literally, I I knew I wanted to be an actress at four years old. And I was that kid who was like singing and dancing in the living room. But you could leave the living room and I'd still be singing and dancing. So <laughs> that's the kind of difference. I wasn't a show off. I was a creative kid. And I would uh, draw and write poems, write stories. So that was like my nature. And I was raised as an only kid. And I think, that is probably also helped because I didn't have siblings to play with. So I just kept myself busy. And then, um, but I do did know I wanted to be an actress. And what happened was I just, um, I think I got that influence from watching a TV show called that girl, which with Marlo Thomas, and she was one of the few dark haired actresses at the time. So I thought, okay, well, I, I, she had this great bubbly energy and I kind of connected with her. So I just kept my interest going and I, um, was took lessons and acting and stuff still till I was 10 years old where I was able to at that point really show my parents that it wasn't some fleeting uh, idea but that I really wanted to be an actress so then I started with modeling and uh at 10 years old and I did all the like Sears and Macy's and the catalogs and uh fashion shows and like just really amazing things I did a a fashion show at the Waldorf Astoria Uh, I modeled with Brooke Shields and that's how shows how long ago was because we were all the same height and uh, Lori Laughlin, we did modeling together Um, so I worked with a lot of uh, actresses who had been in the business and are still in the business then uh, I got into commercials and
0: yeah I was gonna say I know that while you were growing up, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, by the way, but while you were growing up, you did a lot of commercials. What commercials were you in?
1: Oh, I did. Oh my gosh. And it's funny you say that. I'm really glad you actually mentioned it because I'm actually going to find some of my old ones and tape them because I, I they're not all online and there's some of them that are really cool. Um, but I did a Reese's peanut butter commercial. So that's, I think, on YouTube right now. And I did a Trident Sugarless Mince. Coca-Cola. I did Coke commercials. I think I did two Coke commercials. I did a Pepsi commercial. Um, Yeah, I did. And I did a Jell-O commercial, which is the one I really want to find to show people because that was really fun.
0: Very cool. Let me stop you right there real quick, Diane. Yeah, go ahead. During all this, how old are you?
1: Um, I'd say from about 12, 13, about 13 to 16 or so.
0: So at this time in life, you're getting close to college. Did you go to college?
1: Oh, I went to NYU.
0: Did you apply anywhere else or just NYU?
1: It was weird because I only actually applied to three colleges when I was a kid, which is unheard of today. <laughs> I mean, it's like unheard of. Like kids are applying to like 20 schools. I applied to... uh Princeton, UCLA, and NYU.
0: Wow, Princeton. Did you get in?
1: I didn't get into Princeton. I got into UCLA, and then I got into NYU, and NYU I wanted to go to.
0: Very cool. Okay, so you're at NYU when you land the lead female role of Karen in the movie Last American Virgin. What year did Last American Virgin come out, and how old were you at the time?
1: 1982 is when the film came out. It was 1981 when I did it, so I was 19 years old when I did Last American Virgin.
0: So that's pretty amazing because you land the lead female role in a movie, which prior to that you had only done basically some commercials and a little bit of television work. Is that correct?
1: Um, kind of right before I got that, I did a soap opera for like six months uh, called as the world turns. So I got my, I got, and I did some theater too, but, but it is true. That was my first leading role. I went from being the girl in You know in a scene or you know supporting someone else to being the lead and also not just the lead but the dream girl
0: that's so wild yet so cool so diane yeah take me through the audition process of last american virgin
1: okay so i'll tell you this this is a the funny story and i'll uh and i'll totally take you there so thank you for asking um so when i was i would i was at nyu and I was going for auditions, nothing was hitting. And again, you know, everything was this long, straight hair, um, blonde hair, shags. And I had an unusual look. So I would always straighten my hair for going on auditions. And when I went to college. So you're
0: living in New York at this time, correct? Right. Okay, gotcha. New York Continue.
1: Yeah. So, so I'm, so I find out, um, I have a chemistry exam at school. So I'm like, okay, I got to really study for this. Cause this was like, I think it was the like first, you know, it was my freshman year, like studying or whatever. So, um, I'm studying and I find out my manager calls me and says, you have an audition tomorrow for this movie called the last American Virgin. And I was like, uh, okay, well, I can't focus on that. I'm not going to go. I'm, I'm booking out because I have this chemistry exam, and that is important. So I'm going to go do this audition, this in, uh, you know exam. So I didn't think of anything of it, and I let my hair go curly, and because I'm studying all night, you know, with the coffee and you know doing that, and I get to the exam and I go to take it, and this was one of like one of the first exams that you took, where like you know how like those big halls where there's so many people and. It was like my first um, big hall kind of class. So I didn't know how to study for it. So I get to the test and I look at the test and I think I have a better chance getting a lead in a feature film than I do passing this test. (laughs) Okay. So I like checked all the marks off, whatever, gave it into the proctor. I ran from my chemistry exam up to meet. Uh, the producers and uh, the director and the director actually had flown um, away like he had like actually left the audition because I was so late and so the producers looked at me and said you know we're going to have you go uh, to LA next week and we will screen test you there and so I was like whoa so
0: wow that's pretty quick
1: it was so quick I mean within a week I was in Los Angeles um, so
0: wait a minute this is crazy. Okay. So you go in, yes. do you even read for them well, or are they offering you the part just off of your look alone?
1: This was the, the first thing that was funny was that they seemed to want me to go without, I mean, it was just, if, if I did read for them, it was very short. So it was really based, I think on a look they were looking for and To play this dream girl, I mean, I guess that that was the first thing. They must have thought, oh, I look like a dream girl or a girl that maybe Gary could fall in love with. Which is really interesting to me because I had heard that Boaz Davidson had looked through thousands and thousands of girls. And he had looked for, I mean, he looked at name girls. And um, it was just really interesting that it must have been like my look that made them want me to play this role, Uh, which is interesting because, you know, a lot of times, you know, your actresses, you know, we really want to do a good job when we're acting, but so much of it is, does this person portray the character in the film that we need? And the shocking thing to me was that I was playing this girl who was a dream girl.
0: Really cool story. Of course, Boaz Davidson, the director of Last American Version. So Diane, at this point in time, you got to be in LA in one week. So you're pretty much... And go mode, correct?
1: Yeah. And and Boaz, um, again, the director wasn't there. It was the producers, uh, Menachem and Yoram Lobis. They were the ones who, the producers, were like, okay, we just want you to come out to Los Angeles and screen test in a week. So here I am, like, I'm in total school mode. And I had to put my classes on hold. I mean, I think I had, to, I might have had to drop my class, my chemistry class, which probably was a great thing to do, <laughs> and... Um, Fly out. So when I when this happened, it was around Christmas. I guess it was the the middle of my second year of college. So I was a sophomore. So it was right after my midterm, and they flew me out a week later, and I was in LA at Christmas time, which was very bizarre because coming from Long Island, I had never seen a sunny Christmas. Like I'd never seen palm trees, and I remember coming out to LA and my feeling was this is so amazing and magical. And I really remember at 19 going, cause I'd been in the business for so long. I really felt like this is a once in a lifetime experience. You have to take it when it happens. Things like this don't happen all the time. And some actors feel like they want to wait for the right project and that's all good for them. But I didn't have the same opportunities and the same chances. Like. For me, I knew that that was, it was a big moment in my life, a big turning point. Did you go out
0: there with your parents or were you by yourself?
1: I was by myself and I was by myself because again, like I started going on auditions by myself when I was, um, I'd say 17, I started going to the city by myself. Um, and was on my own living in New York you know, at 18, you know, so I could always go home to my parents, you know, they were in Long Island, but I was on my own. I was very independent and early on. And I was trained enough as an actress and, and like in the professional aspect of it to be able to know how to handle myself. So um, it, it didn't, it was kind of funny because yeah, I flew out to LA, they put me up at this hotel that was, um, it, I think it was the Holiday Inn and I was at like the top of, that like they put me in like the penthouse area and uh, it was like a, a holiday, not a great hotel, but it was right in Hollywood and it was very exciting. And I remember my view out the window and I was like, oh, I can't believe I am in Hollywood and I'm making a movie and I'm starring in this movie. Um, and actually what happened was when they, when I got to LA, they had me go, the first thing I did was they put me up at the hotel, but then I went to screen test with the other actors, a couple of other guys to play Gary they knew they wanted rick uh which was steve Anton, so he was there and uh also kimmy robertson was there auditioning as well but they had a couple of gary's and i read with a couple of them and then right there you know i i was reading uh the scenes like the the bicycle scene with gary and um i don't know like i think maybe it was a we read a couple of scenes maybe the when he admits he loves me um i have to check and see again what Auditions, of what you know, material I actually read, but right when we were done, um, and Boaz was there, he was directing beautiful, like he was. He, I really could, you know, trust him. I actually met him, and he seemed like a a really nice person, and he was very um, sensitive and caring to how, to his direction and giving notes and like what he wanted. And so, really, I guess the first time I met Boaz was at the screen test. And so we did a couple of scenes and right then at when this, when it was over, he said, well, you know, you got the part and you are the part that, let, okay, let's go, let's go. Let's get to costume. And like, we're like, what is happening? <laughs> it, was that fast. Yeah, a, uh, it was that fast.
0: That's a fantastic story. That's incredible. And yeah, you're right. That happened really quick. Diane, did any other actresses read for the role of Karen?
1: Yes. Now here is the really interesting part. So here I am. I'm just, Suddenly, I'm doing this part, and the only other actress they had on the wall, like a photos, because they put the photos up of all the actors, uh, was an actress named Christian, uh, Kristen Alfonso. And Kristen also had dark, curly hair, like wavy hair. Like, it was the beginning. And I was like, whoa, like, that's interesting. Like, they, they, I guess they had in their, in their mind, they wanted that dark, kind of ethnic look. I guess um, but Kristen was on a soap opera and she was straightening her hair for the soap opera which was funny. So I was like she I think she had a deal with them so she couldn't do the film. And so I think originally when they when they were advertising it or they were you know they were trying to get it moving they used her face as a um, as an example sort of like or for the ads that they put out. So I think she was Maybe their first choice, but on the other hand, I think I mean she was stunning. She's a stunning girl. Um, but I think it didn't I don't know. it was between me and her, and so I don't know uh, I don't know if she was their first choice or if she was just the other actress who I was up against. so
0: what about for the role of Gary? Any other famous actors who you know of that audition for that part?
1: You know, I don't know that i I mean I know that there were other actors auditioning, and I didn't know the other actor at the time, but um I'd have to ask Lawrence about that because. I mean, he probably saw the other actors who went in. Um, For me, like, again, I didn't see anybody go in because the way it happened for me.
0: So tell me what's going through your mind at this point in time, Diane. I mean, it's all pretty crazy. Like you said, it happened really fast. One day, you're a student at NYU. Uh, A week later, you're in LA, you audition, you get this part. Um, It's gotta be extremely exciting. At the same time, you're very young. So all of this has just gotta be, happening really fast for you and really i would imagine pretty crazy right
1: it is insane so you know you're 19 first of all i'm i'm shaking like i'm like oh my gosh i you know i probably called my parents and like well, i got it <laughs> my agent you know my manager i think i get the time i call them you know oh my gosh i guess what what's happening and sort of letting them guide me because you know obviously I didn't know but I also starting in the business you know you rely heavily on your manager or your agent to make sure everything's done legitimately you know so um they you know I think I kind of checked in and uh, and then but after that like we went I think we went downstairs and went right to wardrobe to try different clothes on I remember we kind of did like a fashion sort of show sort of everybody showed the clothes that we are gonna wear and uh, I think, yeah, that's the first thing we did was the clothing and then meeting everyone. Like, I met Boaz's wife who was, uh, whose name is Bruya. She was the editor. And, um, I met, I think David Woolmark, if I remember these names. Um, he was, I think, the AD, uh, and, the cinematographer and just meeting everybody like just in an office building like we were at the penthouse of canon canon films at the top of this I think it was 64 64 sunset in the penthouse and we were up there and we were all young and it was all our first film you know it was I mean it was I mean, Lawrence was 17. I didn't even know that. We, didn't, we all didn't know that. We thought he was 18. He lied. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and then um, Steve Anton, he was a little bit older. Um, he had done a movie with Jodie Foster. So he was sort of like the one we all as actors went to and goes, Steve, what is this normal? Like, what is the deal? You know, so he was like, yes, this is normal. This is what happens. So uh, and he lived in L.A. So he was sort of a guiding force for us um, as a group. Uh, Kimmy was also in L.A., but it was her first film. Uh, who played rose the girl who played rose and uh we were sort of the first the first four that were hired
0: what about um joe rubo who played david
1: oh wait you know what joe was joe was hired no he wasn't there at that point but when they did hire him he was brought in and then we all i remember us all going to the beach uh because like we had some time off and so we all walked around the beach i think they did wanted to do some publicity shots there and again it was summertime in california it was winter time in california beautiful weather sunny weather so surreal for a girl from long island you know like just never having been out on the east coast uh, on the west coast and experiencing that it was so magical i'd have to say that's the feeling it felt because i mean Obviously being 19 and having all this happen so quickly, it's a magical feeling. It was incredible.
0: Yeah, incredible is a good word for it. And ultimately life-changing. Diane, talk to me about the money aspect and you getting this role. So I'm assuming you either have an agent or a manager. They offer you this role. They offer it to you quickly. I'm assuming, obviously, that this goes through your manager or through your agent. When they make that offer to you, is it that you and your agents and your manager go, okay, yeah, sure, we'll take it? Or does your manager and your agent step up to the plate and start negotiating for you to try to get you as much money as possible. Explain how that process works.
1: Well, when you do a, um, a screen test, there's usually do, they'll do like a contract or some kind of a agreement that everybody's sort of on the same table with it. So they, it's not like, you know, you get hired and then they go, okay, well, we want a million dollars. you know. <laughs> so what happens is during the process of the, I think per, perhaps it's for this idea of getting a screen test, it's that you're so close that everybody needs to. To be in the same ballpark with what they agreed to. So they, my agents, I had a manager at the time and my, and I had, my manager was in New York. Um, and I don't think I even had an agent actually, because what happens in New York is different than LA in New York. You could have a manager and they can go through at that time. You could go through any agent. Like if one agent wouldn't get you into an audition, another agent would, but in Los Angeles, If you have a manager, they sign you with one agent and that's it. So your manager acts more like um, sort of like trying to help uh, is sort of like does several things. A manager's job would be to look for auditions for you as does an agent. But a manager's job is to talk with you, to help you through things. Um, Maybe they might suggest clothing or they might suggest where to, uh, you know, how you should um, your brand, maybe at this point would be a sort of branding thing. Um, And a manager is sort of like, in a sense, what I'm telling you all the information you don't know. Like if I hadn't like told you all the background stories on things, then A manager is someone who's going to kind of hold your hand and say, okay, this is what it's like. This is normal. This is what you do. So, um, but at that time, my manager was acting more like an agent. She was the one who was like getting the audition. She'd say, show up at this place. And I would say like that at that point, it was all about the manager and they know what they can get. They kind of feel it out. So uh, I can't say how much I made, but I would say that it was a tremendous amount for somebody my age.
0: Cha-ching. Good for you, Diane. That's fantastic, especially at 19 years old. So you're in LA. You get the part. Do you go back to New York or do you stay in LA and you guys start shooting pretty much immediately?
1: I stayed. I I had to stay and shoot the film right away. Isn't that amazing?
0: Yeah, it really is. So you fly out there. You're now in LA. Were you prepared to stay?
1: They told me if I come out, be prepared to stay.
0: Yeah, that right there is pretty crazy as well, because you're still currently a student that's enrolled at NYU. How long did Last American Virgin take to shoot?
1: About a month.
0: Wow, that seems fast. Is it not?
1: Yes, it is very fast.
0: Yeah, that's quick. I know the movie was shot around Los Angeles. Do you remember any of the cities where you guys shot or any particular location that stands out?
1: Well, because I didn't know where I was in LA, I didn't know where we were shooting, but I do know like now I'm finding out, Oh, it was at this high school in like the Valley where we shot the, the, you know, the, pop your cherry scene. And, you know, oh, it was like this restaurant, you know, in uh, NoHo where we shot the ice cream scene. And um, so now I'm finding out, which is exciting because I even I am experiencing it sort of for the first time that way. I, what I also didn't realize was the way they shot Last American Virgin was very guerrilla style. Like I didn't realize that they were, you know, trying to get location uh, permits and they were throwing it all over the place. And I suddenly I was, you know, driven. And again, I was driven everywhere because I, I was 19. I, I couldn't uh, d- even drive a, um, a rent-a-car. I had to be driven everywhere. And uh, so it was surreal to be suddenly in a location, and, okay, we got to shoot this and now you know, break down the set, move on to the next. So they did it in a very um, quick way. Um, but I just thought all films were like that because I didn't know. I think what's fascinating is when I did come back from that film, and I came back to Los Angeles, I mean to New York, and I started to go to school again. Like I signed up for classes. All of a sudden, I get another audition. And this audition, I mean, literally a month into being back, I get this audition for Amityville 2. And I'm thinking, you know, this film, you know, I'm I always wanted to do a horror film, but I I never thought, I was like, you know, why do they want to see me? Like I don't even have this experience. I don't have a name yet. Nobody knows who I am. But again, it's that up and coming thing. It's like if they know you worked on something and you're a lead and they think maybe this is um, you know, something they can people can, you know, will know me. Um, so it it sort of blew into the next thing. So Amityville took three months to shoot. And the bizarre part was Amityville and Last American Virgin came out in the same year. So Suddenly, that's why I was in the public eye. Uh, Virgin came out in August, and uh, uh, Amityville came out in October, I think. So it just goes to show that when you're, you know, acting, it's like you don't know what's going to happen. You have to really be a sort of new spirit, and you have to go with the flow. Uh, but at the same time, it is incredibly exciting. I mean,
0: yeah, and we'll talk about Amityville in just a bit, Diane. But uh, I can't, I can't let you get off of last American Virgin that quickly. There's more to talk about in regards to that (laughs) movie. How close did you become uh, with the other actors on the movie?
1: Uh, Incredibly close to that point where I'm still friends with them. Um, I see uh, Kimmy Robertson, I see at conventions and we do Q and A's in Los Angeles together. Um, I see Lawrence at conventions, Um, Steve Enton. I talk on the phone with and actually I wanna get together with him because I think it would be really fun. Because um, he doesn't do conventions, so I think it would be cool. But I can't blame him because I think if people saw him at a convention, they just get really mad at him. <laughs> so right. because he plays the jerk, yeah, so exactly. You gotta give him some slack. Um, That's funny. But uh, yeah, even um, the girl who uh, Winnie, who played the girl with the glasses, um, I saw her. Uh, I, she had we had similar agents at one point, and um, my God. Gosh, it's just, it's, it was very cool. So yes, the reason why I think we've all bonded was because it was our first film and we really got to know each other.
0: So Winnie, that would be Winifred Freeman who played the role of Millie. Diane, I gotta ask you, where is, here we go, Diane, where is Jerry Idol, the girl who played the character of Roxanne? Where is she today?
1: I oh got you right. Okay, so Jerry... The last time I saw her was at a convention a few years ago in, I think it was New Jersey Horror Con, I think, or it could have been Chiller, one of the two. And it was crazy to see her because I don't know how she wasn't doing too well at a certain point. And I think that convention was great for her to go to because she suddenly got to see how many people remembered her and you know wanted her autograph and i think like that for her that was like a really it was i think it was great for her to be there and then it was also great for us to all see each other and um you know i think joe rubo was there
0: and so of all the cast members who did you become the closest with
1: kimmy robertson who played rose we were the closest but we all hung out together we all did stuff together and when we've had time off you know we would hang out and we all got along much better than we did in the film and even Joe Rubo like I mean we all stayed in contact and you know sort of hung out so
0: That's really cool. Diane, do you have a favorite scene
1: from the movie? Oh, from Virgin? Oh my god. Well, you know, that's Okay. So, I have to say and it's not it's not like perhaps the fa- my favorite moment in a way, but I have to say the last scene of the film, that scene was, uh, when I did it, I was thinking about someone. And so it had the most, um, it was the moment where I could give it the most sort of weight. And I think in the film, you don't see what I'm, You know, obviously you don't see what I'm thinking. So there's a lot of ways to interpret it, but I feel like that scene to me was, the most delicate and the most emotional. And I just think, I mean, that scene gives the whole film weight and purpose. I mean, I really don't think we'd be watching that film if it wasn't for the last scene of that film.
0: Great scene, classic scene, a lot of controversy around that scene, Diane, especially with the diehard last American Virgin fans. Diane, would you have done it differently? Do you like the scene? Would you have ended it differently? What's your take on that final scene?
1: Okay. And, and that's a great question. Uh, when we got, when I got the script, I thought, well, we're going to change this ending, right? Because this is absolutely not cool. And that's certainly not how I would have ended. I would have gone with Gary. That's just my first impression. And. When we got the script and we all got together on the set, and we thought at that time, oh, well, you know, we're going to tell the director, he's going to change this, right? Because he's the writer director. And I said, no, no, this is the way the film goes. This is, the, this is my life. It was based on my life. And that's the way it is. And I, I'd love to get a dollar for every time he said that to someone, because everyone who says that, it's as if the first time he's ever heard it. <laughs> and the truth is, uh, that is that is the way you know the movie it was based on a true story so he it absolutely you know should be and he's the writer so that is what it should be but that is when i learned oh i'm the actress i'm not the writer i get it and and that's when i learned i had to justify all my behavior in the film because originally i didn't see it at all and i was like how am i going to justify make saying all these things and acting this way because I as Diane would not do that so I really uh, had to figure out my center of the character and I realized you know I am sort of one of those girls who's just the girl like you're I'm like the person who's you know if you're nice to me I'll I'm like a feather in the wind I'll turn to you and if you're nice to me over there okay I'll I'll be nice to you so I go with the flow of whoever is being nice to me and I think that that's how I kind of had to find it. But believe me, when I got the script, no way, I would have I would have gone with Gary. And I was, we were all going. No, we were all going. We're changing the script, and it was. And even Steve was like, no, 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 this is completely wrong. And you know, who played uh, Rick. Even he was like, no, this is ridiculous. And he was like, no, I, I, we talked to Boaz about this already. <laughs> I was like, oh.
0: That's great. Like I said earlier, such a classic scene. Diane, you broke Gary's heart, but I do love that final scene in the movie. Uh, Boaz, he kept it real. That's real life, man. I mean, that's what happens sometimes, right? Yeah. Um, favorite line in the movie, Diane. Do you have a favorite line from Last American Version?
1: Oh, gosh. That's a good question.
0: Want me to tell you mine?
1: What's yours?
0: You're a really good dancer. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Oh man, it's so great. I've always loved that line. And uh, Joe Rubo, who played uh, David, delivered it just perfectly. And that expression on his face is absolutely fantastic. Diane, what did you think uh, once Last American Version wrapped? Did you think that you guys had a hit? Did you think you had something on your hands? Did you think it was going to be a flop? What did you think about the movie?
1: I think this film is never going to come out. I think who is going to see this film? There were no teen, uh, teen sex comedies out yet, and I thought, I, I hope it comes out. But I don't. Who knows? Who knows if it will? It, that was the time when we when you did a film, and it was so expensive to put them out and the fact that it would get into a movie theater was one in a billion, one in a million. We didn't have billions then. Uh, so I really had, didn't think I really loved my work in it. And I wanted to see what I did because again, I'm like trying to kind of figure out what did I do, but, um, never had any expectation that it would even come out like, okay, I hope it comes out. But, I don't know. So it was. Why
0: didn't you think it would come out?
1: Because of the entertainment business, because not every film got out. And again, teenagers, it was the beginning. Last American Virgin was the first teen film with teen actors playing the roles. Everything else was. I remember like Freaky Friday was out or The Exorcist was out. Films with kids was not common.
0: Any idea, Diane, on what the budget was for Last American Virgin?
1: I have no idea, but it couldn't have been that much, certainly. Yeah. I mean, they went with unknowns, so it was probably not a lot.
0: Do you have any idea how it did at the box office?
1: You know, that's a good question. Um, I actually wrote, I have it in my, you know what, hold on. I can give you that exact number, actually.
0: Yeah, that'd be kind of cool to know. Go check those numbers. I'm just going to sit here and listen to some music while you're gone. just don't know why she did Gary like that I mean Rick was such a jerk you know I mean just it doesn't make sense to me I mean it just doesn't make sense at all I just don't get it
1: so it made in the first week which is kind of funny uh let me see last week total to date so it says I don't know if this was the first week it was wait this week it was like ninety five thousand dollars in the I guess in the the week before was $32,000. So I don't know if that was the first, um, film. Oh, but then here, listen to this. Okay. Um, so last American Virgin was out, oh wait, no, that was in Canada. So that's a whole different thing. Um, Amityville was top box office and made over a million dollars. Amityville too. So I have a thing in my, in this book where it shows last American Virgin and Amityville, both in the top 50 films. And you know the thing about what happened was with Virgin, it would have been really big, but okay, so this is what I experienced. You know, we I did Virgin and I and there was Fast Times. And to me, there's similar stories. They had the abortion, they're about teenage experiences, but Fast Times was the American version with a happy ending, and Fast Times was like the European version with a sad ending. So Americans want that happy ending. When they saw Virgin, it rocked them. So it got really Bad reviews in so many ways because people, they, I mean, there was an assault on it in a lot of respects. Um, it was exploita- ex- exploitive, or was it exploitive? It was realistic, but it was crass. You know, what, what is it? Um, and yet they did porkies afterwards, and that was more accepted into America mainstream. So I think it's sort of more or less, um, it kind of, I think, had to do with perhaps. One being American-made and one European-made, essentially.
0: Yeah, and I would agree with that. And that's a really great explanation and very cool to hear it from somebody who was actually in the movie. And that was going to lead me to my next question or my next comment to you, Diane, to expound on what you just said. There's a ton of 80s teen movies out there, right? To me, Last American Version, within all those 80s teen movies, it gets lost in the mix for whatever reason. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh, yeah. And that is because American, uh, to me, American um, publicity is very much on role modeling. So you can't say to American public, watch this film and you're going to learn something, you know, great. You know, like in a sense, like you, you, you learn, you look at it and you bond with the reality, but it takes um, a maturity to watch it. Right. Um, I know like younger people have watched it and they're like, it rocked my life. It changed my life. You know, so you could say perhaps uh, I, I really do think it's just the American sort of, you know, we want it to be all sugar-coated and role modeling like this is what we want life to be um but i think virgin doesn't go away because the reality is it's you can't deny the reality of it and it hits people i mean i just heard an interview by someone who was from ireland and they saw virgin and they described it and it was so fascinating to see their perspective from an being from Ireland, watching it, you know, and something happening in the 80s, how they could still relate to it. But at the same time, you know, they saw the 80s, all, all the 80s in it. Um, but I think that it got lost because people who were in media, uh, or certainly back then, media was controlled by very few people. And so they didn't want to push it. But today, because we have the internet, and we can hear all kinds of voices, we're going to hear the other side of it and people's real feelings. So I always felt Virgin was sort of this word of mouth hit. Yep. Do you know, totally that made it the cult film that it is. It's that, you know, it's not, it's going to be word of mouth, you're going to and if you can get a copy, great. And it will change your life, it could rock your life, you know, Um, depends when you see.
0: Yeah. And I'm happy to say that I have a copy of last American version on DVD, Diane, a couple of nudity scenes in the movie for you. Can you talk about that?
1: Uh, actually that's where you'll have to read my book. (laughs) Um, yes. And that's where I like, I, I talk about my experience with that. Um, but I, I will say that, you know, um, it's, I was not somebody who was like, Oh great, let's do this. You know, like I wasn't somebody who was, uh, I think my biggest problem with the nudity in itself though was i didn't want to be known as the actress who just did nudity because that to me was then like i wasn't i couldn't show what I did I knew I was more than that, and in this entertainment business, if you do nudity, it's very hard because sometimes people go oh well that's you know that's all the actress can do or that's that's it and just because I did nudity doesn't mean that's all of me, and also. It doesn't mean that um, it's a you know it's a part, and I think that I'm if I look ret- in retrospect, um, I'm really glad I did it, um, especially now that I'm older because <laughs> I'm like oh I look pretty good, um, nice. but I have to say that you know it's something that young actresses if they want to do it they have to be very smart about it they have to know uh, that it's part of their life after they do it it doesn't go away or at least Maybe it used to, but certainly it's, it's a part of lifestyle. But on the other hand, it's, it's, you know, I remember like the biggest thing for me was making sure it was okay with my family. Sure. Like I had to check in with them and say, if I do this, are you going to be okay? Gotcha. And they said it, you know, it was my life and my decision. So to me, that's what allowed me to do it because I knew it was my opportunity. And I think it had not done it. um, I don't know if I would have. I don't know, you know, it's a very hard industry to get into, so I don't know, uh, I, I don't know if I would have gotten leads. I think it might have been a very long time for me to get a lead because at least this time I could prove it by doing Virgin. You know, I could prove that I could handle being a lead in a film.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And you're right. It's certainly not going anywhere once you do it. Diane, when is the last time you watched last American Virgin from start to finish?
1: Oh gosh. Um... That's a. I actually did watch it. I'd say probably a couple of years ago.
0: Okay. But cool. the thing
1: about it, when I did see it, it was with a group of people, and I will absolutely say that I thought I was a complete biatch. <laughs> oh
0: man, that's funny.
1: I was shocked.
0: You broke Gary's heart.
1: I am such a biatch. Um, and I I realized the reason uh, I felt that was because and I remember doing this consciously when I played the part I wanted to play her as like I wanted didn't want to play her as the bad girl I wanted to play her as just a girl who's didn't know who they were yet and so I'm so nice you want me with Gary and that's why it's so crushing because this is you know a remake of Lemon Popsicle and Lemon Popsicle was uh, so the girl who played in that film I don't know if you feel as much for her as you do for my character as Karen.
0: Exactly. Uh,
1: he, he was lovely. She was beautiful, but I don't know if you feel the same things. Um, so it's interesting. I, I just, I, I would have to say that uh, I definitely after watching it did hate myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. You destroyed Gary, Diane. Uh, you mentioned lemon popsicle lemon popsicle released in 1978, also directed by Boaz Davidson Diane, did you keep anything from the set?
1: Oh, gosh. From Virgin? I don't think so.
0: What? Come on, Diane.
1: Yeah, because I didn't know even that. And by the way, they wouldn't let you keep things. You know, that was, it was they were really strict on costumes uh, and things, you know, when you work on a, on a film. Um, but I did know the costumer. Maybe I kept one item, but I think it's all gone. What happened was I kept a lot of stuff and then I went. Oh, you know, when am I going to wear this again? Or who would I, who, you know, why would I keep this? So my guess is somewhere, some, some people have the costumes I wore in films, you know, somewhere out there.
0: Your wardrobe is lurking out there somewhere. Diane from last American Virgin, Diane. Sting, Human League, Blondie, Journey, Ario Speedwagon, The Cars, Devo, The Commodores, U2. Talk about one fantastic soundtrack. What do you think about the soundtrack from Last American Virgin?
1: Phenomenal. Like, I was, I mean, that is the other thing about that film. Virgin is a time time capsule of the 80s. It really is. And uh, I'm just loving it because it was so... it encompasses an '80s look, '80s costume, '80s makeup, um, '80s music. So when you, if you don't know the '80s, and also like again, like we talked about the the um, the drinking and the drugs and the sex and the freedom of that for teenagers, that was real. I mean, it wasn't so that you know not everybody was doing it all at the same time, but at that time. Uh, Kids did have a lot of sense of themselves very early, and I and may, that might have been the way they were raised, where like you're more independent or more was expected from you. Um, but yeah, you were you were a man, young woman, and a young man in your teens.
0: I would certainly agree with that. Proud to say that I am an '80s child, and uh, one thing about the '80s that I definitely love. I mean, I wasn't doing lines of cocaine in the '80s as a kid, but I was definitely into the music. 1982 is a uh, it's a big year for you, Diane. Obviously, uh, what we just talked about, Last American Virgin comes out and then you go on to do Amityville Two: the possession where you play Patricia Montelli, uh, talk about that experience and what that was like with everything that you had going on.
1: It was intense because again, it was very quick. I had to like, I was just starting to apply for school again and just about to take my class that I had to stop again at NYU. I was like, am I ever going to finish school? Um, and, uh, Turns out that I never did go back after that because I, I got work after job after job. Um, and Amityville was exciting because I'd never done a horror film before.
0: Let me stop you there and ask you this. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. So, so when you get Amityville, this is the point in your career where you basically quit going to NYU.
1: Yeah, I had to because it was working out. Amityville took three months to shoot. I wasn't working all those three months, but it took a much longer time because we shot some in New Jersey and we, uh, Tom's River, in New Jersey, and then a lot in Mexico.
0: Very cool. Diane, let me ask you this. This might be a funny question, but I got to ask because you hear about it and you hear about the cast from the movie Poltergeist that experienced all kinds of paranormal type things happening to them when they were filming that movie. Did you have any sort of experience at all with the paranormal? when you were shooting Amityville?
1: Okay, not when I was working on Amityville 2 because I played the character that was the innocent one. So if anything came close to me that was weird, I deflected it. Like I just went, nope, I'm out, I'm
0: out. Like, you like, the hell with this, man. I am oh, out. Yes. Oh my God, that's great. Um, what about any of the other cast members? Did they have any sort of experience with the paranormal?
1: Yes, Ritanya Alda did and also the two kids. Um, Brent and Erica Katz, they experienced some paranormal stuff. And So when we were working on it um, I didn't experience it but I know Ritanya did and like weird things were happening for her. I know like and then suddenly I think the kids got the chicken pots or something while we were shooting and nobody needed, should know and I don't even know. I was like I tried to stay out of it all and just keep my innocence because I had to be the one who was shocked, you know and, and surprised and I, I was the voice of, you know, um, innocence in that film. Eventually, of innocence corrupted perhaps, right?
0: Yes. Innocence corrupted is a great way to describe it. Diane. I liked the movie a lot. Uh, it was an interesting flick. There was some scary stuff going on. There was some incest stuff going on. It was, yeah, definitely a, definitely an interesting movie. Burt Young did a great job. I liked his character. You did a fantastic job as well. Diane, between 1982 and 1985, you do a few things like Second Time Lucky, where you play the role of Eve. And then in 1985, unbeknownst to you, boom, you hit it again with another cult classic where you play the character of Monique Junot. All I want is to come to the States and say, Dodger Stadium in the movie Better Off Dead. Diane, you do it and you do it well in that movie. Tell me about Better Off Dead.
1: Yes. Oh, thank you for saying that. Uh thank you because that is um my favorite film I have to say that I did and favorite role you know that that character uh, Monique was such a to me closest to who I am in in personality and in fact from that I'm actually I'm now writing a book about Better Off Dead because I realized that so many people love that film, and I've gone to conventions, and I I actually did have have the memorabilia—the coat that I wore in the film. I did hang on to that, and so at my conventions, I would let people try it on. So now I'm writing a book that's going to have people in the coat, and it's going to have interviews with the cast. And that film brings good energy to the world, so I am very proud of it. And uh, and it was interesting for me auditioning wise because second time lucky was a film where I was I shot at New Zealand but I one of the characters that I played in that film I played a French nurse so I took French accent but it was very thick and sort of um when I did better off dead I had done it enough so that I felt confident but I could also make it clearer so like just because you do an accent doesn't mean if you do it exactly like that voice it may not be you might not be able to understand it so actors have to take that voice and make it so that you can and You can enjoy the accent, the dialect, but you at the same time also can understand it. So when I auditioned for Monique, I, I was like, well, obviously I want to play Monique. And I don't know who they were thinking of, but I just went to the audition and I think they were they wanted me to audition for Beth. And I just came in and they said, no, I don't, I don't want to be Monique. I mean, I would love to play this character. And I started to talk with the dialect and it was... They went crazy, (laughs) Savage went crazy.
0: (laughs) That's fantastic. Of course, Savage being Savage, Steve Holland, the director of the film. Diane, how many times did you have to audition?
1: Oh, once, that was it. Wow, I didn't even have to screen test. Um, He knew my work in uh, Last American Virgin, uh, and so he saw my work before, and he was a fan of mine, I guess. I don't know, I'm actually discovering this as I'm uh, writing my book because he's giving me all these, details that uh these intimate details that they did not know and so uh i'm gonna be putting it in the book
0: that's really cool what other actresses were up for the role of monique
1: uh you know i as far as i i didn't know oh i wait who was, were they thinking of no that was TerrorVision. i don't know i have to look but i don't know if uh, if they had anybody in mind
0: interesting and you only auditioned once
1: yeah i th- that was it yeah I didn't even have to screen test. It.
0: Crazy. So
1: that was and I was just crossing my fingers when I came home I you know I auditioned, um I they laughed I, I we had a you know a good meeting I read the lines of Monique and I went home and I'm like crossing my fingers and you know I'm like I'm going to try not to think about it because it's an actor you always try to just let it go, move on because the, it it's the kiss of death if you really try to think about it. You just go just just move on. But oh, I wanted that role so badly and when I found out it was it was, I went crazy. I just was screaming and yelling and just like, I couldn't believe it.
0: Yeah, that's great. And again,
1: you know, all these films, you never know if they're going to come out, but I was like, wow, I'm so excited.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That has to be just an absolutely amazing feeling. Diane, we discussed it a little bit earlier. Now that you're going into Better Off Dead, you've already done Amityville, you've done Last American Version, Second Time Lucky, are you now able to ask and demand a little bit more money because of your previous work
1: yes and i started to be able to uh you know ask for more money but you know i'll tell you something again i never got involved in that i stay i it wasn't that i didn't care it was that i was you know i mean i want to live you know but it was more about um that's why i that's why to me that's why i had a manager or an agent because that was their job and of course they're going to try to get as much money as they can because they have to get it for themselves as well. So I wasn't worried about getting more money. I was more, I just loved the role. So that was really the thing is I've always been more concerned about the role, but I do think, you know, obviously it's really important for people to pay actors. Cause you know, you work as an actor, you have to live off that money. Um, actors have to support themselves. So, um, but it was more at that time people had one occupation. Like you were a teacher, you were a doctor, you were, well, you can't be many occupations, but you did one thing and people didn't want to know that you produced or write it or were a writer or anything like that. Today, actors have a little bit more leeway. They can write, direct, act, edit. Um, So that is good for the actor because they can produce their own things.
0: Certainly. How long did it take to shoot Better Off Dead?
1: I gotta think better, I'm thinking about a month. Yeah, it wasn't that long either.
0: Wow, that's quick too. And where was it shot?
1: All over Los Angeles. I recently visited the Better Off Dead house, which I was so excited to see because I visited, okay, I visited Lane Meyer's house, but I never realized when we were shooting that Ricky's house was right across the street. Because for some reason, when we were shooting in the scenes, um, I don't know if it was nighttime or something, I never knew that they were across from each other. And I recently did a documentary, um, it was a kind of a on conventions and I was talking to someone about it and I met them at the house and it was so exciting to see after all these years, the same house and to know what it was like inside, you know, Ricky's house and, Oh my gosh.
0: Did you go inside?
1: Uh, no, uh, because, because people are living there. <laughs> but, but it was so funny, I actually, in Ricky's house there was a, a girl, she was uh, sitting on the stoop and I said, I know this doesn't ma- mean anything to you, but I actually was in your house shooting a movie back in the 80s. <laughs> she was looking at me, maybe like, you know, 12, you know, 13 years old looking at me like, that's awesome. who are you? And I'm like, you may want your parent to check out the film Better Off Dead. And it was very fun. It was really cool. Yeah,
0: that's really cool. Diane, I know you said you uh, kept the jacket from Better Off Dead or the coat, I should say. Uh, anything else that you kept from the set? From the movie.
1: I did keep originally a lot of the clothes and then I think they went to the Salvation Army. I gave a vest to a guy who was like uh, helping me, a manager, uh, an old manager. I gave him one. Um, I do have the knitted vest still from the film, which I might at some point, you know, sell. But for me, the um, I'm holding on for the coat um, and maybe, who knows, maybe it'll be in like the some kind of, uh, Hall of Fame sort of thing where I could you know our actors motion pictures uh, museum maybe I can bring it there one day so um,
0: it's very cool that you at least still have the coat Diane lots of fantastic lines from the movie Better Off Dead do you have a favorite line from the movie?
1: Oh god now that is the killer question of all Better Off Dead um,
0: should I tell you mine?
1: yes go ahead
0: you'll make a fine little helper what's your name? Charles DeMar. <laughs> oh my god
1: unbelievable love that how great
0: was curtis armstrong as charles DeMar?
1: oh my god the lines with the like the the, the street value of this snow like the whole that whole thing oh my god
0: <laughs> he starts uh he starts snorting the snow i think i froze the left half of my brain oh my god man he's so fantastic so great dan what about you
1: Um, I, yeah, I mean, gosh, goes that way really fast. If something gets in your way, turn.
0: Yep. That was a good one.
1: Um, and, um, I think I really liked all you need is this small taste of success and you will find it suits you. I like that line. Can I take out Beth? I mean, seriously, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It seems that everybody asks out Beth, um, including Mr. Kerber. The teacher, so fantastic. Diane, that is one sweet Camaro that you and Lane Meyer are working on. Any idea where that Camaro is today?
1: Last I heard it was in Florida. But that is that is all I know. So get the lead out. <laughs> I don't yeah, that's all I know.
0: Now that car would be cool to have. Diane, what can you tell us about John Cusack and Savage Steve? The rumor is apparently that they didn't get along during the filming, or John didn't like the way the movie turned out. What do you know about that, and what can you tell us about that?
1: Uh, you know that I'm learning from what Savage wrote, so I'm going to get more into understanding that. Um, but I did see, uh, I did see uh, John recently. I saw him last February at a convention. And all I can tell you is I was so happy to see him. And he was so uh, sweet to me. And, you know, he said he doesn't have a problem with the film. But I think that, you know, at the time, I think he just didn't want to be seen as a goofy comedy actor. And I think that's what he saw at the time. Like now, I think in retrospect, he can look back and go, okay, well, that was just one of the films I did. But at that time, he had done, you know, 16 Candles and... The sure thing, and now Better Off Dead. So he, I think, as an actor, was feeling like, when am I going to be taken more seriously? That could be it. Um, So I don't blame him for having that, you know, maybe attitude of not wanting, not having the film be what he thought it was. I mean, again, Better Off Dead was originally about a guy who wanted to, who wanted to kill himself, you know, over a girl, and maybe he thought it was going to be a little bit more, you know, deeper. But yeah, I think I will tell you this John and I had a blast blast shooting better off dead. That's great We had a killer time. We had so much fun and he had fun with everybody. So He wasn't not liking it when we shot it. He enjoyed it.
0: Okay. Well, cool You were able to clear a little bit of that up um, Diane when the movie was over when you guys were done filming did you stay close to the other cast members, or did you guys kind of go your own way?
1: We all went our own way, and that was because we all had different careers. Like we just, it was busy time, and we went from film to film. So we stayed, we stayed in contact, but not got together or anything. Because you know, at that time, again, we, you know, when that film came out, like nobody was like at the height of their success yet. Everyone was kind of still finding it. But I did know that, like, it was kind of funny that some people. I I did find it funny as I was working. There would be sort of like, "Oh my God, we got Diane Franklin!" It was like, "What?" I was like, <laughs> <"What?"> <laughs> I was like "Wait, awesome. did you? Did I just hear what you just?" I mean, it was a funny uh, experience. That's very cool. That I was a person that people would be like, "Wow!" So very uh, lovely.
0: It's really cool. Very awesome, Diane. You were the uh, it girl at the time. That's uh, that's great. I feel that. Um, there's an actor in the movie that gets overlooked. Obviously, everybody talks about Cusack. Everybody talks about you, even Curtis Armstrong. But how fantastic, how fantastic was Dan Schneider as Ricky Smith in that oh movie? Oh, my
1: God. He killed it. And he was so funny to me. Like, he would give me these looks, and I had to stay so straight-faced. Uh, you know, we really had to commit to our characters. And, oh, my God, when he comes in that came in that room with that nose spray, I... We all died. We all had to hold it. I mean, the crew, everyone's like biting their lip, you know, or squeezing their hand not to laugh um, because a lot of the stuff too with uh, Better Off did was some of it was improvised and because it was improvised, I mean, obviously the director, you know, he approved stuff we did, but he, Savage gave us a lot of freedom and that's what made it magical that nobody expected a lot of the things that we did. So
0: that's cool. What do you remember that was improvised?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, my thing was when I get taken into the restaurant for my date with John, when he got, you know, he guides me in originally, we are just walking into the restaurant. And I was like, no, that's boring. You can't have him." I mean, if I see what's going on and see it through the window. So I said, I said, blindfold me and guide me into the restaurant. So that was like an example of, you know, me improvising with them and saying, you know, you just got to make it more interesting. Every scene has to be has to tell a story. So that was story there uh, so that was just yeah there's an example
0: very cool and that was gonna lead me to my next question for you Diane which that happens to be one of my favorite scenes from the movie because when you guys go in the restaurant my favorite song from the movie is played of course it's arrested by you from Rupert Hine who unfortunately passed away several weeks ago Diane I wanted to ask you about the soundtrack from Better Off Dead another pretty good soundtrack Van Halen Neil Sadaka, Hollow Notes. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, Muddy Waters, Linda Ronstadt, the list goes on. What did you think about the music from Better Off Dead?
1: You know, the music, oh my gosh, like phenomenal. I I just went to an event called 80s in the Sand. And when I was there, there was um, music from Better Off Dead. Oh my gosh, uh, the artist and my brain is a sieve. But, you know, the the writer of um, the one who wrote, uh, I like to get to know you well
0: yeah i certainly should have mentioned him you're talking about howard jones Oh,
1: Jones! he was there and i was so excited to see him in person because again music doesn't meet acting like we, don't, we maybe see each other at the screening if but usually um when you're shooting it you don't see the people who do the music so i was so excited to see him and i was dancing around to the song so it was very cool
0: that's cool howard jones is great did you talk to him
1: i tried to talk to him a little bit i actually uh They rushed him in and out, which was a shame, but um, a a lot of 80s fans, they danced with me to the music and it was live. So he was there on stage and I wore my coat and uh, I probably should post some of it to uh, my website to show people what it was It was so cool.
0: Heck yeah, Diane, throw that stuff up on on your webpage or on Instagram. Tell me, Badger, what's a little boy like you doing with big boy smut like this?
1: And that's, it's so great. And I want to find, I want to know where Badger is. If anyone is listening to this and knows where Badger is, please let me know because uh, his Scooter um, Stevens, I think his name is. And I really wanted to find him because I wanted to interview him today. I mean, he's grown up, so that'd be cool to hear his point of view or how it affected his life.
0: There you go. For the people out there listening around the world, he is lurking out there somewhere, y'all. Where is Scooter Stevens? AKA Badgerat. If anybody knows, let myself or Diane know. Diane, what about Johnny Gasparini, AKA Demian Slade, the paper boy. I want my $2. Where is he at today?
1: Ah, Demian Slade. Well, I know where he is, which is very good. Um, I actually got him to go to a Q and A, um, about a year ago, I think. And, He had no idea. He was like, why do they want to see me? I was, you know, I don't look like that anymore. I'm an adult. I'm like, you do not understand. Damien, people are obsessed with, I want my $2. Like you're, you have no idea. So when he went to this Q and A at the Egyptian and it was Elizabeth Daly and and Savage and I, um, and Amanda and like, I think, I think Amanda was able to be there. Maybe not And Kimberly. uh, Oh, um, Kim Darby was there. Uh, We, he, people went crazy. They went crazy to see him, you know, and uh, so he's around, and he's starting to do conventions, so we may see him at more conventions, hopefully.
0: That's great. You mentioned a few names there, Diane. Elizabeth Daly played herself in the movie. She was the uh, singer at the school dance in the gymnasium. Kim Darby played Lane Meyer's mother, Jenny Meyer, and uh, of course, we're talking about Demian Slade. Diane, this is going to be the last one. I promise you, this will be the last one. Gee, Johnny, I don't have a dime. Sorry. Didn't ask for a dime.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Didn't ask for a dime. <laughs>
0: God, it's so funny. Savage Steve did a great job. Had to be a fun movie to work on, huh, Diane?
1: Yeah, that it was such a hilarious movie to work on. And I guess my favorite scene, another favorite scene I had was when Dan Schneider was snorting the jello. No, he was he was sipping the jello, I think. And then I turned to Curtis and he's snorting the jello. And that was also. <laughs> so that to me was the That's moment so of a killer. Why didn't you just like, and you see my face. I'm really trying to hold it in. Like I'm trying not to move at all my jaw, but I really want, I'm so ready to to lose it. And we must've shot that like, I don't know, 10 times.
0: Good God, man. Curtis Armstrong is just so fantastic. Diane, what about the scene where um, you're shaking the Coke can and then you open it up on uh, Stalin? How many times did you shoot that scene?
1: Oh, you know, I'm not. I think one or once or twice because we didn't have another prop, so we had to get it right the first time. So we should did all the coverage, and then the last one was like whatever the far shot where you could see that, or they did the close up on it of me shaking it. But yeah, we couldn't do that too many times. Um, but we did um, when when Laura Waterbury squeeze when Mrs. Smith squeezes my face and says Christmas. I mean, we must have shot that twenty times. She made. Everybody laughed so hard with her character, uh, that it was such a lovely, it was so funny and it was so lovely. So like that kind of moment, like when you're creating characters that haven't been created yet and nobody knows what to expect it. I mean, such a funny experience, such a fun experience.
0: Yeah, no doubt. That's awesome. And, uh, I lied, Diane. Chris, Matt, Chris, okay, anyways, um, Diane, the scene where Ricky falls on her at the end in the snow. was that actually her, or was that a body double?
1: That was her. that was her <laughs> that was really- Wow, really yeah, that's pretty yeah, impressive they, they, um the uh, body double, I do know that they used uh, another person for skiing for me, but I do ski and i I loved skiing, and uh, when we were there in snowboard, I did ski, which was really fun i don't know if they knew that but i did ski around
0: <laughs> that's great what about the scene towards the end of the movie when you tell uh when you say to lane kick his ass, and then you ski off is that you or is that somebody else
1: no uh when i ski off it's me so yes that was me i could do this very nicely i can't ski backwards or anything like that that's you know i do jumps occasionally but not uh but but they they did a great job in i think that ski uh It was like a ski dance. I love that.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Some of those ski scenes were fantastic. Diane, the scene where you and John are working on the Camaro, you're under the car, and um, obviously it's not oil that falls on John's face, but something falls on his face. What exactly did they use uh, to replicate the oil?
1: Oh, that made me laugh hysterically as well. That was chocolate sauce. I died because I think I look away for a minute. When I look back, John is just very quietly like suffering. <laughs> he didn't even go, I don't know. He didn't even make a sound. It was just so understated and subtle that I think that's what just killed me.
0: That's great because yeah, you do. You, uh, you're looking away, then you look at him and then you start cracking up, which I'm sure was in the script for you to laugh, but it does look pretty natural that you were just laughing because it was all over his face. Good stuff. Diane, I could talk to you all day about better off dead. Let's move off of better off dead. I'm curious. Any movies out there that you auditioned for, any big name movies out there that you auditioned for that you didn't get?
1: I auditioned for Flashdance. I got a callback for that. I don't know if I, I don't think I screen tested, but I call back and it was called a different movie originally. So that was kind of interesting. Also, I auditioned for uh, Karate Kid. Wow. Very cool. That I was screen tested for. It was between me, Elizabeth and one other girl, but I don't know who that was.
0: Wow. That's pretty cool. It came down between you and Elizabeth Shue. Do you keep in touch with her?
1: Um, I don't now, but I did then. Like we were friends and I had her number and like we, you know, we would, you know, see each other in auditions or we would just talk. But um, so I knew her as Lisa Shue originally when we were young um, and then it became Elizabeth. And I'm like, OK, cool.
0: Good stuff. After Better Off Dead, Diane, you go on and do a few things. 1986, you do the movie Terror Vision. Then uh, after that, you do a few TV shows like Matlock. You do an episode of Charles in Charge with Scott Bayo. And then in 1989, you hit it pretty big again uh, with the movie that would turn out to be huge, starring Keanu Reeves. Of course, I'm talking about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Diane, I'm still a bit confused. Who you play? Who were you, Diane? Were you Princess Elizabeth or Princess Joanna? Who exactly were you?
1: Excellent question. And they still have it mixed up on the internet, which is so.
0: Yeah, they sure do. Please, and it's pretty please, confusing. Please
1: go on the internet and help me, somebody clarify it. So here's what happened. It When I was hired for Bill and Ted's, in the script, I was Princess Elizabeth. And I knew that I, it was in the script. So during the entire film, the guys in Bill and Ted's never say Princess Elizabeth or Princess Joanna. They never say those words. We're just the babes, the medieval babes. So because of that, somebody in the credits when they did Bill and Ted's got our names mixed up and put me down as Princess Joanna. So when I saw it, I was like, oh really. But we had just done Bill and Ted's. There was no talk of really them doing Bill and Ted's two. So I thought, well, okay, if that's the case, then I guess I'm just Princess Joanna. So I wound up auditioning. uh, No, I'm sorry. I wound up doing signing conventions. And so I would go and sign Princess Joanna for all the things I did. Then they did Bill and Ted's two. And I had not seen it right away. So I didn't know that that character was then called again, Princess Elizabeth. And in the meantime, look, somebody messed it up and obviously it didn't matter to them. And I, we had those names. So for years I was signing at Princess Joanna. Well, now they're doing Bill and Ted's three. It's coming out this summer, which is incredible and exciting. Um, No, I am not in it. Um, But uh, I do support the film. I think it's awesome that they did it. And, now I I spoke to the writer and I said to him well what's going on am I Joanna or Elizabeth and he said well you've always been Elizabeth and I went oh my god really so I said well now that we've got three Bill and Ted's I really want to clarify it so on my IMDB I put Elizabeth I don't know uh if Kimberly is is changing hers or whatever well who knows what she's going to do but I did on mine and so when you see like they're starting to want to put all the princesses together they now have me with Joanna. So it's super confusing. So I am Princess Elizabeth. So if case you want to know that is who I am from this point forward in history.
0: (laughs) (laughs) By the way, Diane, I like how you randomly break into character. That is absolutely fantastic. Diane, explain this to me. How in the world are you not in Bill and Ted's three? What is that all about?
1: You know, you should uh, wind up ask them. I'm not quite sure. Uh, good call. Uh, I'm just going to be really nice and say no comment. But I what does say, no comment mean? It means that I wanted to be in it. And so did Kim. We both really wanted to be in it. And we gave them every chance to do that. And um, but now all I can say is, as a princess, I gracefully allow uh, the new generation. Um, I Beyond love the actresses that they have picked. I think they're funny and awesome and beautiful. Um, But my feeling is that, you know, from this whole film series, people will, if they see the Bill and Ted 3, they're probably going to wind up seeing Bill and Ted, the first one. And so that makes me happy that at least I will, I shall not be forsaken.
0: There you go. Ridiculous in my opinion. And I'm in your corner, Diane. But uh, I guess that's the way it shakes out sometimes. Diane, when was the last time you spoke to Keanu Reeves?
1: Oh, Keanu, I have not spoken to since we did the film. I have not seen him, spoken to him. Uh, although it, we didn't have a bad terms or anything. It was just that he went on to do, again, that's what happens. You do your career and you move on. So he went on to do his career. But I have seen Alex and I've see, I have seen—I saw Alex at a screening with uh, one of the producers and that was like last year, even um, when they were you know, trying to pull, still pull together Bill and Ted's. So I do stay in touch with Alex uh, Winter and I'm very uh, good friends with Kimmy, the uh, Kimberly Cates, who played the other princess. So we see each other a lot. So uh, yeah, so I do and stay in contact with them. Um, I'm trying to think if anybody else from the film. Occasionally, I see people at conventions who are from Bill and Ted*.
0: Very cool. Of course, Alex Winter played the character of Bill S. Preston, Esquire, Keanu Reeves. Well, we all know about him. He went on to have a very successful career. Diane, when was the last time you went out and got noticed in public?
1: Wow. That's a good question. Before the COVID, I guess, (laughs) February, I don't know. Um,
0: Does it still happen?
1: Oh, yes, it does. It really does. Sometimes people are, you know, I mean, it, it happens in different ways. Like sometimes I go someplace and and some people are shy and like, I just get this look, but they don't, they and smile, they don't say anything. But actually I would have to say in the last, let's say six months was so cool. I had actually was at a restaurant and this guy and this this husband and wife came over to me and they went, you're Diane Franklin, right? And I'm like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> and they're like, we knew That's it was great. you, we knew it was you. That's and I was fantastic. so, again, just so, complimented that they recognized me because I, I don't do publicity and I haven't done at least until Amityville Murders, which just came out. Um, but they remembered me from Bill and Ted's and from Better Off Dead. And um, they just were so excited. And I, we took a picture together and uh, I was just happy that they came up and said something because that's what it's about. I mean, There'll be a time perhaps when you no know, I will know who I am. Who am I? I won't know who I am. And uh, if whatever. So it's great when people do come up to me and say, hey, I remember you. Brings back fun memories.
0: That is fantastic. Very cool. Diana, of all the movies you have done, what would you say the movie is that you are most well-known for?
1: Um, You know, that is a really good question. I once asked that on Facebook and I got 50-50 on Last American Virgin and better
0: off dead. Sure. Makes sense to me. I could see that being 50, 50 Diane. There is a ton of eighties teen movies out there. There's a ton of eighties teen actresses out there. I'm going to name a few. Well, more than a few Molly Ringwald, Leah Thompson, Alyssa Milano, Mia, Sarah, Ioni Sky, Jennifer Conley, Phoebe Cates, Drew Barrymore. Uh, we talked about her earlier, Elizabeth Shue. the list goes on and on and on. Diane, where do you feel that you fit in that category of the actresses that I just listed?
1: That is an interesting question. I think I have always been, well, I've, I've always felt like I was, within that group, I always felt really unique and different. And I think also by acting, I always wanted to play roles that were, I always was interested in the role. I wasn't looking for an Academy Award winning film. I was looking for, um, really good characters to play. So, I mean, if I had been in one, that would have been great, but I don't know if I was of that. I don't know. I don't know if I was of that personality or that type. Um, I would say this. I'm what I really want to say is I would like to be part of that group and I would like to be considered a part of an, of America's history um, of eighties teens. I would like to be at least considered part of it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you are, how could you not be? I mean, um, you know, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, The Last American Virgin, uh, Better Off Dead, uh, many other movies as well. So obviously and definitely you are certainly a part, in my opinion, of that group.
1: Thank you. You know, I, I don't know. Like, I, I do think I mean, I I think I am. But and I think from the, the, my reactions of my fans and people around, I, I really feel I am. But I I always felt, I think, that I was more of the outsider than the insider. So, you know, it's hard to tell, but I really appreciate you asking that because I'm always honored to be included with everybody.
0: Yeah, of course. Diane, being that you were a popular 80s female teen actress, give me your take on John Hughes.
1: John Hughes, to me, was, this is what I love about John Hughes. The characters of John Hughes, first of all, he has like lead, female leads in a lot of the stuff he does, which is great. But he made teenagers intelligent. And I think that really is what he gave American teens. When we look back at those movies, we go, oh, yeah, those, they were smart. And look, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Matthew Broderick was a smart kid. He made all that happen because he was smart. And I think that was a big thing about the 80s. And I brought this back to you, To I brought it up before, is that, like, even in Virgin, kids who were teenagers were very adult. And they really appreciated being re- recognized as making, living in, a, um, making adult decisions. Ferris Bueller made adult decisions. Maybe it wasn't as uh, risque or um, dark or serious as virgin, but he made adult decisions to do things and, or we strive him to be an adult. And I think that that very much was how we, how American teens wanted to be seen at that time. And I think that's how we can relate to the film so well.
0: Nice. Yeah, I definitely agree uh, with everything you said. And I certainly like your description of John Hughes. You nailed it. I also like the fact that you brought up the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, an 80s classic teen movie. Diane, by chance, would you happen to know Mia Sarah, the girl who played the character of Sloan in the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off?
1: I don't. And that's another example. I think she was a little bit younger than me. That's another person I would love to meet.
0: Yeah. And I'd love to be able to get her on the podcast. I know she's on Instagram. I've yet to reach out to her. One of these days I will. Diane, we are nearing the end. Go ahead and give me all your social media platforms, all your plugs, whatever you got. Go ahead. And plug away.
1: All right. So if you want to stay in touch with me, stay in contact. Um, and it's so much fun. Okay, because I always have surprises, and I love surprises. So follow me on Diane Franklin eighty on Twitter. So Twitter Diane Franklin eighty, no S. You can follow me on Instagram at actress Diane Franklin, and you can follow me on Facebook. And that's going to be a little trickier, but look for Diane Franklin official fan. Page, and that would be a black and white photo of me uh, for my books I think Um, because my other Facebook page is full and everyone tries to go on it but it's hit it's hit its max and so um, and I tried to open another page but they Facebook knocked it down so I this is the only way I could figure it out through but the group is, is mine so
0: and there you go Diane do you respond or interact with your fans on social media
1: yes sure um, I try I do respond and but I there also is a part of me that doesn't understand a lot of it. So sometimes like something I'll find a lot of messages somewhere and I'll be like, where did this come from? So uh, sometimes I will respond. Sometimes I don't. Um, but that's also just because I'm really busy and I'm doing a lot. I mean, actually, uh, I have two movies that are out right now on Amazon. I have three movies that are gonna be coming out at the end of the year or beginning of this year. And I teach acting, so I have students, and I, I teach kids or young adults. So uh, I am busy, but I'm and I'm writing my book. So there, that's a lot.
0: I get it, certainly have a lot going on, that's for sure. That's definitely a good thing. Um, tell me about the books, go ahead, and plug the books.
1: Um, I have a book, uh, I have two books out right now. One is called the Diane Franklin, The Excellent Adventures of the Last American French Exchange Babe of the 80s. That book is um, was my first book I, and I put that in 2012, I think. That is about me being an actress. How does a you know girl, a regular girl from suburbs, you know, whatever, make it into being a star of a film? How does that happen? It's my life story. and. Very cool book, I, I talk, and I talk about all the movies I've done, and I have chapters on each of them in that book. Uh, you can also get my second book, and my second book I wrote because I realized I was the actress that kickstarted the curly hair trend of the 80s. So that film, Last American Virgin, if you're a fan of that film, um, or if you want to see more photos, because I have a lot of photos in the second book, it's the excellent curls of the Last American French Exchange Babe of the 80s. So. If you could forget the name, just look under Diane Franklin Books on Amazon and you will find um, these books. You'll see my face on the cover, black and white pictures, and the next book will be hopefully coming out at the end of this year, and this will be a tribute to Better Off Dead.
0: Nice. A book coming out as a tribute to Better Off Dead. Certainly we'll be looking forward to that towards the end of the year. Diane, we chatted for a long time. I certainly appreciate you taking time out of your day to come onto the podcast and to share all your stories. They were fantastic stay safe and well out in la and best of luck to you the rest of the way any final words
1: thank you so much for having me on being famous podcast it was really great and remember the international language <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's so that's so fantastic awesome peace